Hello and welcome to Cybernia, a podcast exploring science in Ireland and beyond in association with Discover Science and Engineering. I'm Sylvia Leatham and with me in studio today are Marie Boren and our producer Gavin Byrne. You can find us online on cybernia.ie or download the latest episode from iTunes, friend us on facebook.com slash cybernia or follow us on twitter.com slash cybernia and you can email us at podcast at cybernia.ie. Coming up on the show today... Hundreds of tourists come to Ireland every year in search of their roots. And if wildlife could do the same, polar bears would actually be among those making the journey. We explore the link between the modern polar bear and the ancient Irish brown bear. We also hear about a new monthly event where maths enthusiasts can get their geek on. And in our culture corner, we go all elementary with some basic chemistry fun. Sometimes it seems like the whole world is Irish, and now we can even say that about polar bears. We might not have bears in the wild in Ireland anymore, but scientists have just discovered that polar bears who live in the Arctic today can actually trace their family tree back to Irish brown bears. Maria Daly asked Dan Bradley of Trinity College Dublin to tell us more. Thanks for talking to us today, Dan. Just wondering, how did you come across this discovery? Well, um, it's, a, it's a discovery that came from the work of Caridwin Edwards, who was working in my lab uh, before she moved to Oxford. The, the, the project she was engaged in, uh, one that we devised together, was to look at the genetics of animals in Ireland uh, in the past. And in particular, in Irish caves, there's a series of animal bones that stretch from over 40,000 years ago until close to the present. And of course, in that time, over that time period, the, the world has cooled down, warmed up, cooled down again, warmed up again. In effect, there's been severe climate change uh, and the biggest climate event was the glacial maximum. And uh, we were interested in whether we could look at genetic change through time and whether it reflected climate change. It turns out that one of the the mammals that are are best represented in, in Irish caves through time are bears. Um, presumably because bears, they, they hibernate and sometimes hibernate in caves and, and sometimes they die in caves. And uh, so we, we were fortunate. We, we contacted Nigel Monaghan from the, the Natural History Museum and uh, he helped us source a series of, of bear bones and, uh, and we managed to get DNA from them. And that's important uh, because it, it's not every fossil not every bone that you can get DNA from and to work with and uh, it turns out that caves tend to be good sources of old bones which still have some intact DNA. We find (coughs) in our Irish bears we find really three types of sequences so the oldest ones those before uh, about 38,000 years ago to until 43,000 years ago they give us a, a DNA sequence that is quite like the bear sequences you would get today in Eastern Europe. Um, then if you look at the, the bears that are more recent, the ones up until about 3,000 years ago, uh, after the ice, until 3,000 years ago, whenever bears seem to disappear in Ireland, they look like Western European bears, so not unlike those you might find in the Pyrenees today. Um, but the ones in the middle time period were the most interesting, those that occurred just before the, uh, the ice and just after the ice in the Irish 
record uh, because whenever we looked at those sequences, those sequences were the closest yet to modern polar bear. Wow, and um, what does this say for the like the future of modern polar bears? Because I know they have been seen recently to hybridise with brown bears because of their reduced habitat. Well, uh, if one was to make a broader conclusion from the results, not just one to do with bears, I think what it is is that here we have an instance where we have hybridization occurring in the natural history of a very charismatic species and uh, and it's not it's not an event that was brought about by humans it's a naturally occurring part of their history and uh, when you look at some other species for example european bison and american bison and other related animals like yak and cattle their maternal lineages seem to be a little bit mixed up compared to the rest of the genome lineage too. So there's ancient hybridization happening there. So um, to some extent, hybridization between closely related species is part of evolutionary history. And um, perhaps, perhaps it behoves us to look at hybrids today with a little more regard than hitherto may have been the case. Thanks for that, Maria. You can find out more about that on the Trinity College website, tcd.ie. We're jamming, said Bob Marley, and I hope you like jamming too. And now I don't know if Bob Marley liked mathematics, but he at least might have liked the name of a new monthly event devoted to all things maths related, Maths Jam. It's an informal monthly meetup in a Dublin pub to talk about games, puzzles and maths problems. I asked event organiser and maths student Andrew Doran-Sherlock to tell me more about it. Maths Jam is just basically a group of people who, anyone who has an interest in recreational maths is the idea behind it. Um, it's just simply a monthly meetup in a pub, have a bit of fun, discuss anything that you find interesting, anything quirky, anything different that you've come across. We just tackle some um, problems, some puzzles, um, anything that simply grips your attention and is enjoyable um, as a pastime. Okay, so uh, where and when is it on and, and who can come along? Um, it's on the second last Tuesday of every month. Um, currently we're hosting it in Against the Grain, which is just on Wexford Street, and we're upstairs in there, and it's literally, it's for anyone. We've already had, uh, we've only had two events so far in Dublin, and we've already had a nice selection. We've had uh, philosophers, we've had um, people who are studying people who've, who've been studying law, people who've uh, come from computer backgrounds. Uh, it's all different levels, but the idea is all recognise the importance of maths and are willing, want to know more and want to learn more and enjoy tackling new thing, problems. I see. And how did this uh, event come about? How did it all start? It was originally started in um, London um, by a man, Matt Parker, um, and it's he. I don't. It's been a couple of years there anyway, and it started spreading recently, quite recently. So it's in seven places now as well: um, Dublin, London, Manchester, Reading, Nottingham, Edinburgh, and Glasgow currently. And the joy of this is it's done at the same time and day everywhere. This means that we link up via Twitter. So we also, well, you know, it means that we have such a wide range of. Um, levels and so many new people and the idea behind it is if you're traveling 
if you're somewhere else. You're as welcome anywhere as you are wherever you normally go. I see. And are, is there live tweeting during the event or is that just how you keep in touch with each other? Uh, it's the, during the event and uh, outside as well. And there's Facebook groups for most of them now as well. Um, and it just means that you get so many new and different problems. Um, say in Edinburgh, for example, they've got some neuroscientists. Um, it just It's such a collective group. It's fantastic and it's so variable. Okay, and how did you get involved? What's what's your background? Well, um, I've recently gone back to studying, so I've been doing a maths degree, so I've literally just finished second year. And I love the idea of this, and I heard that Matt was, he was tweeting on, um, that he was encouraging people to start it up wherever they might want to. And so this is where it really took off quite recently. Um, we are, the Dublin is the first one outside the UK, uh, which quite proud of um, and it's there's interest in so many other cities at the moment as well and if anyone is interested in it there's no problem and it's so easy to because the framework is already there and everyone has been so helpful to me in helping getting it going so if you're not anywhere near where it is I really would encourage you give it a go Sorry and you don't have to be uh, an expert in maths to attend no not at all it's literally it's just if you enjoy it doesn't matter what level it is there is something for everyone um, some very visual making shapes just from paper almost in an origami sense um, to more theoretical problems it's there is a lot there and you really will won't be disappointed if you give it a go uh, you're very enthusiastic about maths uh, when and how did that start uh, it's always been it was always my thing um, I loved physics especially mechanics um, and I think about that constantly uh, in so many different aspects um, and it's it's something that's always always interests me there is never uh, a limit on how much you can learn there's so much out there um, and I know I will never get uh, know as much of it as I'd like to but I'm going to keep working at it and it's just a passion to keep going with it and you're doing a maths degree at the moment. Um, where were you doing that? And did you go straight from school to study maths? No, I took a slightly more scenic route, um, as maths was my thing, but not many other things were. <laughs> so I'm a bit delayed getting there, but I'm there. And um, I'm doing it at DIT in Kevin Street. And I've been there two years part-time, but I'm going into it full-time now. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to that. Okay. What do you think about uh, how maths is taught in schools and do you think there's anything that can be done to uh, get people more enthusiastic about it? There's a lot that needs to be done, really, at this point. Um, finally, we're actually aware of the extent of it. Uh, we know how many teachers aren't qualified. Um, and what I'm very impressed by, you know, now is the time to do something about it, seeing as we know how bad things have gotten. Um, there were several teachers in my night course whose schools were sending them there to get qualified and that is a great thing to see you know doing something about this now um, I've been looking I've skimmed over the project maths the new implemented syllabus mm. um, what do you make of that it's good it's it's making things a lot more applicable and um, giving more real world examples which when it's just theory for some people it's difficult they just need one or two concrete examples and it can make such an amazing difference um, my only concern is getting the teachers up to speed with it 
getting them qualified because unfortunately there's been a lot of them have not known or don't know it in depth well enough to be able to teach everyone when you only know something on the surface level it's a very limited selection of people that you can teach and this is where the problem has been if you get the teachers up to par with this then it has great potential but there's a lot of training that needs to be done first okay and what do you think that generally could be done to make maths more appealing and just to seem less geeky to to just the general public um well first of all i say uh geeky is cool um, <laughs> there is the a lot of the real world examples this is what needs to be done um and it, just to show in the future how much it, it's going to be there for you and how much more beneficial it will be when you know this stuff i mean even on a very light level the amount of statistics and percentages that you're throwing out in the news and media constantly now if you have a if you have a better idea of what it is you you really learn so much more from it and you also know where uh, the figures are slightly being changed to con you and um, inaccuracies that are often portrayed in this way because people don't understand it, people don't question it. Um, I also would love to see even something on the version of Maths Jam being done within schools, even taking from transition year, where it's off the syllabus but teachers throwing out puzzles, problems where to the students are getting discussions going. This it, It's so enjoyable and I think that would have huge potential um, and there could even be a simple website for teachers to throw ideas at each other so that they can bring into these things. I think one class a week on something like this would have a massive impact. Sounds like a brilliant idea. Thank you very much, Andrew. You're welcome. And if you want to head along to Maths Jam, it takes place on the second last Tuesday of every month at 7 o'clock in Against the Grain on Wexford Street. And for more information, you can go to mathsjam.com or email dublin at mathsjam.com. antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. In our Culture Corner this week, we're going to be talking all about chemistry. Um, Marie, I was watching uh, Graham Norton the other night and Daniel Radcliffe, who plays Harry Potter in all the movies, was one of the guests and he was asked to perform a party piece and he actually started singing this song called... I saw this. this you saw good, it as yeah. well. It, called The Elements, where yeah. it's basically uh, a run-through of all the elements of the periodic table. Yeah, uh, it was really entertaining because what the part of the of performing the song is that you have to dramatically list them all out really quickly and then go <gasps> and start them again. And he actually did it like word for word. It was perfect. He actually stopped and went shh and made the audience stay quiet <laughs> so he could get it perfect. But um, yeah, it's from this song from 1959 by Tom Lehrer. So it gets all of the elements known at the time, all 102 squashed into what, like under two minutes. Uh, what are actually elements? Maybe we should say what yeah. they are. And <laughs> that's the thing. We should talk about what they are. Elements are very are basically they're they're very basic atomic structures. They're as basic as you can get. So they've got like we've probably all done this in chemistry in even in junior cert where you've got a proton, electron, and a neutron. So every one of them has their own unique 
um, what's called an atomic number and that's the amount of protons sorry this sounds really sciencey it's but it's technical. the amount of protons in the nucleus or centre of an atom and if you've got one proton your hydrogen two your helium so if you take one away it becomes another it becomes another element so the elements are basically based on the amount of bits in their centre it's literally that they're all very very unique okay but words, how yeah. do they manifest the elements are presumably all around us. They are, but they, they don't they don't just lie there in their in their own form always. Although they sort of do, because gold and silver are what they are. They're so yeah, they occur naturally. Like gold, yeah. silver, carbon. Mm. Yeah, they all occur naturally, helium. but apparently only um, ninety two of them occur naturally, and there's one hundred and sixteen. Is it no one hundred and eighteen to date have been discovered? And they say discovered because there's meant to be a set amount because they're meant to follow logically. If you've got atomic numbers, so you know one two three just keep counting and there's going to be elements apparently for every atomic number so some of them are occur in nature things yeah. like cobalt and mm. uh, some pretty shiny ones like yeah, all the metals the nice ones yeah or all the gases like what we're breathing now although like there are mixtures nitrogen yeah, and oxygen, oxygen. Yeah. yeah so they all occur but naturally in different forms be it gas solid or liquid oh yeah yeah, yeah. But then the others then are, are manufactured, like they, They're they're not they're manufactured or extracted. They can't they don't occur by themselves because of the way um, atoms are structured. They've got I talked about the little center bit with the atomic number. There's like mm-hmm. an outer bit called a shell, and you can only fit so many electrons on the shell. So um, if there's some space left on the shell, so to speak, that means that they're they're like yay I'm free and they hook up. And create different elements, which are different compounds, which are different okay. elements so getting together and going, yay, we're together. <laughs> so would that be like water being H2O? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two hydrogen two atoms went hey, to oxygen and they all hooked up. Okay. And that's what we, that's why we got water. So you, you can pull them apart, but a lot of them occur together instead of apart. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, I believe you were looking into an element that is close yeah, to your heart I, because it's close was, to your yeah. name. Yeah, Boron. Because I actually got a name tag um, when I was at a conference and they put Marie Boron accidentally on <laughs> okay. it. And I was like, oh my God, I'm a chemical element with the atomic number five. Wow, <laughs> yeah. okay. So, so that was tell us cool. more about Boron. Boron What's is not boring. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I swear. Um, boron's sort of cool. It's, it's a metalloid, so it's got some properties of metal and some properties that are non-metallic. Um, it's a bit of a genre spanner, as it were. Um, one cool thing about it is that when you hold it over an open flame, it burns bright green. And um, in the Cold War, they were looking for different kinds of rocket fuel. And this was called, they called it the Green Dragon. They were going to use it basically for, yeah, for rocket fuel and different things. And um, it was quite, it's quite explosive okay. in certain forms. Yeah. And it's also quite poisonous, hence being called Green Dragon. And um, did, it's, did they actually use it? I don't think in, they end, I think it was just one that they were considering because okay. it was maybe a bit too volatile and explosive. Right. Yeah, uh, but it's used for other things. We see it every day. It's used in to make glassware stronger and it's used um in washing powder. So, um you know Purcell, everybody knows Purcell. It's a washing powder. This actually stands for per, the per stands for perborate. So it's from boron oh, and wow. the sil stands for silicate. So that's, yeah, parcel. I thought that was sort of cool. That's interesting, yeah. 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 So it comes in loads of different forms. It can It's all powdery and that's what you get in the washing powder. It breaks down and bleaches. Or you can get it where it occurs as this like crystally black structure. And it's as hard, it's the second hardest substance um, apart from diamond. 
So Bourbon's pretty oh, special. Oh, wow. Maybe, think, yeah. you know, Marie, if you ever got married, instead of getting a diamond ring, you could ask for oh God, a Boron ring. Boron, yeah, my Borate or Borane <laughs> ring, like the different forms of it. Yeah, that's sort of I cool. Know, that's what would probably be cheaper <laughs> than diamond, diamond, too. Black diamond. <laughs> is, that not, is that not a perfume or something? Anyway, here we go. But I, I thought that that's all there was to Boron. But there's more. I was talking... <gasps> there's yeah, more. There is, there's, don't sound so excited, Sylvia. <laughs> I was talking to one of my friends in the pub a few nights ago, and I was like, Boron's pretty boring. I mean, yeah, green flames, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, actually, no. Um, as you know, we're all carbon-based life forms. Everything on Earth that's living is made from, it's, it's all carbon-based. Carbon is one mm. of the elements But as there's well. theoretical sort of biochemistry where there could be life forms based on silicon. This so are we entering science fiction territory here? Yeah, we sort of are because there was an episode of X-Files where there was this like life form and it was based on silicon. And it's looking at if there's going to be other life forms out there in other planets, they don't necessarily have to be Earth-like planets that have carbon-based life forms. But silicon was always meant to be the, the other one where you're like hmm they could there could be aliens made from that but apparently boron's a better substitute that would work like carbon but it's more flexible and I don't even know I couldn't even go into the chemistry of it but it's more oh, flexible okay. and it could um, do things that would create life forms theoretically on other planets but if boron based life, life forms actually came to earth they would spontaneously combust because uh, it's very volatile and they just burn up on earth I see. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so I'm not boron based anyway. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But also, I think if I can talk about, there's an element that uh, close to my heart as well, which is helium. That I'm, 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 I get quite upset at how, how much helium is wasted at, at pretty much every party you go to. Or um, what's so bad about it being wasted? Well, there's only a certain amount of helium that's in that can be mined from the ground. It's, it exists in there's reserves, and most of it is in North America. Um, uh, actually, we discovered helium in the sun before we discovered it on Earth, so it's it's quite interesting that um, it's usually abundant in the universe, but actually on Earth, uh, it's hard to find and it's running out. Um, they think that the reserves in the US will be gone by by the end of this decade. Um, and simply, the main fact is it's too cheap. It's um, this was there was an act passed in Congress in 1996. That it's it, it, I don't know I can't even explain it because it seems incredibly foolhardy and short-sighted, but it it's to it was to sell off all the stocks of helium in the U.S. by 2015, and so that's why it, the reason it's so uh, low price. Essentially, the amount of helium you put in a single balloon at a party should cost maybe a hundred euro. That's how much wow. if you were pricing it. We inhaled about twenty-five quid's worth then a few weeks ago. We <laughs> found an old helium balloon and tried it out. <laughs> Well, that's the, it's just not being priced to its scarcity, and, um, and and so it's being wasted, and no one else, because I think America has something like seventy percent of the world's helium, uh, they they can set the price, so no other country can then like set the pr- a proper price on the thing, because no one will buy it then. But what do we use helium for? Why is it um, so important? It is, yeah. So it's more than just party balloons. Uh, <laughs> it's used in cryogenics, is it's because it's, it's uh, got a very low boiling point, so it's great for as a cooling system. So it's used in MRI machines to keep the magnets cool. Uh, it's used in rocket systems in order to mm. keep rockets cool. Anything involved in it's used in a lot in food production as well, and uh, just a huge amount. So of Walt Disney's stuff. head's encased in helium. Probably, if he was yeah. going to be in any noble gas, it would be <laughs> helium. Um, so it's a gas that took like four point seven billion years to <laughs> to be created, and basically one ge- a single generation of humans is like frittered away. <laughs> yeah, we hear a lot of uh, waste, natural resources being mm. wasted, but we don't normally hear about yeah. uh, helium as being one of them. So, oh, so yeah, hopefully people will think twice now and <laughs> don't buy <laughs> helium, helium balloons. For helium balloons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
And um, I looked at one more element. Um, again, it's one that's um, related to my name, Marie Curie. She discovered radium and it's radioactive. She ended up dying from um, uh, aplastic anemia. So that and that was related. That apparently happens when you're exposed to it over time. But what was really cool about radium was it wasn't really cool because those people died from this. But what was really interesting back in the time was that literally everything was marketed with radium like it was some sort of life force. So because they basically it, they faintly glowed and um, it actually did uh, help with cancerous tumours. But it destroys, it doesn't destroy humors or tumours alone, it destroys everything. So so people were, um, it was literally decaying people. There was this uh, factory in New York in the 1930s. It's actually the first case that, that was brought to light that showed people that it was causing death. These women were painting radium dials on on watches. And every time oh, they so they would glow in the dark. Yeah, but the weird yeah exactly yeah. But the weird thing is they're using these little brushes and they'd wet the nib of the brush with the t- with their mouth to um, keep the tip um, right, on it. Yeah. And every time they painted, they were putting it in their mouth and they start dying where they they're decomposing jaws and everything hideous, oh my God. absolutely hideous. But um, yeah, Marie Curie obviously didn't know about this, um, but they they found out well after it had gone global and everybody thought it was some sort of elixir of life there was like I'll just list a few things that were out there that were marketed radium butter radium cigars radium beer chocolate toothpaste condoms suppositories and contraceptive jelly it's like where could you not put it (laughs) it's absolutely ridiculous I think actually in the science gallery now as part of the element show they have actually got a a, I think it's from a spa or something it's an urn made from radium and there's a notice on it saying if you're pregnant don't stand too close Gavin you were on Twitter telling us you were leaning against it (laughs) (laughs) just in case why are you pregnant yeah I don't want to you never you have to be very safe and sorry yeah Um, and th- this is actually one of um, it's a story of radium told through the life of Marie Curie and why I wanted to bring this up is it's called the chapter's called Our Lady of Radium and it's in this book called Periodic Tales by um, Hugh Aldersey Williams it's really interesting because it's not an, a normal book on chemistry or the periodic table it's all done where cultures mixed in and they start out with maybe the mythology behind elements or various stories like that so you get a fun cultural view on yeah, our elements. Okay, it looks like a really interesting book. Mm. Uh, and there's a cool, well, an interesting website uh, that you can go to as well and see videos uh, of all of the elements uh, being experimented with in labs and y- you can hear about what they're used for. It's uh, periodicvideos.com or you can just Google a periodic table of videos and that will come up it's, yeah it's uh, really good watch the boron one the lady's like really super enthusiastic it's hilarious oh well I, I actually had a look at the um, the lithium one because it's oh, so, right, yeah. so, so, Sylvia lithium yes indeed Sil- <laughs> silver lithium I have yeah. been called in the past by uh, Microsoft word spell checker uh, but there's like a kind of crazy looking kind of mad scientist type with a uh, mad curly grey hair he and appears in the Boron video too <laughs> yeah he seems to be wearing glasses as well and uh, he's talking about lithium and mm. he says how it's used to actually treat manic depression mm. and uh, he says there there is uh, I believe at least one pop song <laughs> called lithium so love it <laughs> okay thanks for that guys and cadmium and calcium and chromium and curium there's sulfur, californium, and fermium, berkelium, and also mendelevium, einsteinium, nobelium, and argon, kryptonium, radon, xenon, zinc, and rhodium, and chlorine, carbon, cobalt, copper, tungsten, tin, and sodium. These are the only ones of which the news has come to Harvard, and there may be many others, but they haven't been discovered. Now we just have time for some events. Marie, what have you 
got lined up for us there? Well, we're right in the middle of holiday season, so um, there's not tons and tons of events going on, but there's still some good ones. Um, on Saturday, the 13th of August, Scientific Sue will be presenting Elements, Explosions and Excitement in the Science Gallery. So apparently this involves colour-changing chemicals and fire-breathing dragons. That's six euros for a ticket or 20 for a family ticket. And if you go to sciencegallery.com forward slash events, you're going to get more information on that and you can book your ticket there. Okay. And on Sunday, the 14th of August, there is a guided walk of the Wildfire Meadows about Kilmacara Botanic Gardens in Wicklow. And this kicks off at 3pm. Again, if you visit their website, that's botanicgardens.ie, you can get info on this and other botanic gardens events. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah. And lastly, there's an art exhibition running in Cork right now. It's called Gravity and it's at the Crawford Art Gallery. And that runs actually for a good while until the 29th of October. And this is basically looking at gravity, but it's looking at the physical and metaphysical interpretations. And they've got over 29 artists. So there's probably going to be lots of different things um, there. And that, that gallery is open from Monday to Saturday, 10 to 5 p.m. And the admission's free. And that's it for another episode of Cybernia. Thank you very much for listening and thanks to Discover Science and Engineering and to Near FM. And don't forget you can find us online on cybernia.ie and we're also on iTunes. You can find us on facebook.com slash cybernia, on twitter.com slash cybernia and you can always email us at podcast at cybernia.ie.